Thank you for joining me on this week's Homeowners Be Aware podcast. Yes, it's a new name, but the same information I've been bringing you every week. Your home is your biggest investment. Learn how to protect it. I'm guilty of letting things slide myself, and in the end, I always end up paying for it. Today, we're going to talk about designing a house and then building a house. It's a process that can get very complicated if you aren't working with the right people. My guest is Lance Psycho, who's an architect, a builder, a developer, podcaster, philanthropist, and professional fisherman. He's got some valuable information that can make the entire process of designing and building a home go much more smoothly. I'm George Siegel, and this is the Homeowners Be Aware podcast. Your home is your biggest investment. Every week on this podcast, you'll learn how to protect it. Lance, thank you so much for joining me today. Pleasure to be here, George. Now, I was looking at your website. There are some really cool houses on there. When uh, Let's jump right into it. When a client comes to you, what is the process you go through in helping them with, uh, with what their goal is? You know, the first thing we're doing is we're, we're listening. And that usually starts with, you know, it's either a phone call or an email or a Zoom, or maybe we'll, you know, they head to their site if uh, if they're interested in that kind of way. But the biggest thing we're trying to do is just understand their wants, their needs, their hot buttons, their cold buttons, if they've ever worked with an architect before. Everybody is a completely unique, and we try to curtail our services 100% custom to where they're at. We don't try to force our design proclivities on to clients like a lot of other architects do. I would say we are lowercase a architects. There's a lot of architects that are like uppercase a architects where, you know, that's that classic, uh, if you have the image conjured up in your head of, uh, I am wearing all black. I usually wear all black, but like the only thing I don't have on is I don't have the court Lee Cabousier, you know, glasses and where it's like, it's either my way or the highway. I've always found it strange. And I've worked in a couple other firms where it was that sort of, way with clients of like, we're the architects, we're the experts, they should listen to us. And it's like, wait a minute, it's their property. They're the ones paying the bills. Shouldn't it sort of be this hybrid approach? Now, that isn't to say that when we get very, the very, very special clients that come to us, like, for instance, you mentioned our website on the East Watch house, where they came to us, we listened to them. But at the same time, they, they really treated us as a trusted advisor to the point where they said, look, we don't even want to give you guys any idea. In, in sketch form, photos, anything like that. We're coming and we're hiring you guys because you guys, we want you to put on the capital A architect with all of our ideas, all of our all of our wants and needs in mind. So that's our general approach to each individual client that comes in on the customer residential side. So tell me about some of the houses that you've designed. I mean, there was quite a variety that was, uh, there was quite a variety that was on your website uh, ranging from space age looking houses to yeah. more traditional houses. Talk about the variety of stuff you've done. Well, Alex and I, the reason we do a variety of different homes, we don't try to do just modern or contemporary or traditional or space age, like you, like you mentioned with the doomsday dwellings that we have on our website. Our firm was born in the Great Recession because we, Alex and I both got laid off from firms who only tried to concentrate on one specific style of architecture. And we just never, we knew we wanted employees at one point, at some point. And part of that comes. And so with that is like, you got to have, we, why put your eggs, eggs in all in one, one basket. And, and if, if they, if the basket goes away, if you're just doing the one type of style, you're going to lay yourself off employees off and, and the firm will fail and everything like that. So we have a, 
we try to we try to do a diverse set of uh, houses. Our favorite, oh, our, obviously, if we could do mountain contemporary, and and the, there's a style that we sort of um, started to procure here in Colorado, and it really relates to that East Watch house again. So, uh, if folks are wondering what that what that house is, if you just Googled East Watch Colorado F9 Productions, something like that, I think we're like three or four pages deep in Google now because that house ended up being on the cover of Builder Magazine for us. It was it's featured on um, on Dwell, the online version. And then it's went it went to Arc Daily, and once you get on those kind of websites, then it goes viral. We've had we've had quite a few clients now come in and point to that house and say, "That's the style we want." Nobody else is doing that in Colorado at that elevation, and those are really the, the most interesting ones that we're doing at this point. So it's, it's a series of homes where they are derived from you know the concepts that Frank Lloyd Wright really instilled in American Architects, which is instead of trying to dominate the hillside and that's why i'm emphasizing that these are usually mountain homes that we're doing in this in this category instead of trying to dominate the mountainside it's better to try to blend with the hillside and and work with the topography and work with uh all all the natural elements you have so those are probably the 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 ones that i really we 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 really try to strive for it and our associates including myself we have seven architects in the firm I really emphasize to them, like, you might only get one of these a year. And that's your really, really special one. And that's where, like, it's okay to put on the capital A architect um, because those clients are specifically coming to us as, like, the very selected, quote, unquote, artist as architect for for that way. And those are really neat be in from a, a multitude of standpoints. Like, they're very clean. They're very modern. They're very minimalist. But at the same time, they are a holistic house because almost every single one of them, the client has a lot of eco consciousness about them. And we're trying to design them such that they're as passive as possible with solar gain and, and, and mitigating in that way. Now, every place in the country has its own challenges when you're designing. I know here in Florida, where I live, you have to be really conscious of hurricanes. You have to mm-hmm. look at impending disasters. When you're designing houses in Colorado, I imagine you have to account for cold and snow, but also warm and windy. There's probably a variety of things. How big does code come into play when you're making a design if somebody wants something that's just completely out there in left field but you know it's going to blow down in a stiff breeze what is your role in working with them yeah the natural environment especially so those particular houses uh that are in the east watch series they're usually located between 7500 feet in in elevation above sea level and 10,000 feet so very high in the mountains so there's there's a variety of factors that we have to that that we have to employ and a lot of it comes down to the structural engineering and our approach to structural engineering is a lot different than other architects so what what we try to do with our with our associates here is we try to emphasize one of our principles we have nine principles that kind of echoes f9 productions our firm and that is one of them is model, we're going to model it like it's going to be built so we actually end up doing the preliminary calculations. We do all of the arc, the structural modeling, and then we bring in our engineer um, who does the final calculations. And what that's allowed us to do is maintain that kind of modern, modernity and design emphasis that we're placing on like these as thin as possible roofs, but at the same time balancing them out with we have to account for huge snow loads. Like in some cases, we're talking like like 135 pounds per square foot sort of thing. So you end up with a lot of steel. You end up with a, a lot of uh, if we're doing a lot of glass, like a big glass wall up there. It's like okay, how do we 
how do we tackle the wind loads then? So, you know, we already talked about the snow loads. Then there's the wind loads a factor. And then the final one is, like you said, the, the thermal part of it. With When it comes to the how it's tackling, how are we handling this from a thermal standpoint, whether it's we're mitigating. The problem with Colorado is the same thing as why everybody's here is we want to look at the mountains while the mountains face west. And how do you tackle that harsh western sun coming into the house through these giant glass windows while at the same time, like, oh, we have a wind load to deal with. We have like, how do we shade shade the whole thing? So we end up producing these these homes that have these very, very large overhangs and and do a, a series of sun testing and, and modeling in that sort of way to try to mitigate that as much as possible. Well, without completely trashing builders, because obviously you work with them, so I don't want to say uh, And anything. I am one. <laughs> so my, my question would be, when you find a community that's already developed, do you think the kind of thought goes into it as when you hire an architect? Because... That westerly facing house, as you're saying, that propose that brings up a lot of challenges in how everything goes yeah. from there. Where's your TV going to go inside with that sun coming in? What are you going to do to 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 keep the house cooler in in the hot times? Does the same thought, or is that really an advantage to going to an architect? Because then they're going to think of things. You guys are going to come up with stuff that will make that house a, a better experience for the buyer. Yeah, the architect 100% will have a different lens on it than a builder for sure. I, I but again, as as me as as being a builder and working with folks who are builders as well, I, I don't want to discount them entirely. They they have some good thoughts in that kind of regard too. What it really boils down to is actually in the curveball I'll throw here is so civil engineers. The civil engineers are the ones that are laying out these neighborhoods with all the roads. Like it has nothing to do with architecture. It has nothing to do with the builders, even the developers. Um, the developers are going to emphasize, okay, I need to, if I buy 10 acres of land and I want to do a new sub, a new single family subdivision, they're going to hire a civil engineer, or a land planner. And those are the folks that really need to be, need to be steered, not so much educated, just steered towards, look, if, if we put all of the roads on an east west axis, for instance, versus a north south axis in Colorado, specifically on the front range. Now, all of a sudden, on the if they're facing east-west east west, when you approach them, then it puts maybe the garages on the south side. We're not having garages on the north side dealing with all the snow. Maybe the snow, the snow just will melt off a little bit easier. And you open yourself up to a lot more opportunities when it finally does get to the architect. Because even the builders down here who are doing a lot of like a stock, a stock homes, basically, you know, where they're maybe they'll do like four or five different models. In Colorado, they're actually hiring folks like us to do the four or five different models. So it's really got to be this collective effort. And what Alex and I teach in the engineering department at CU Boulder, thankfully to the civil engineers, and we're trying to sort of infuse that coming from the field out here into the into academia. And it's just interesting when you see uh, places that have had disasters like Paradise, California, you see it in Malibu. Uh, we saw it here in Sanibel and Captiva Island with a hurricane. When these places are designed and there's only one way out or two ways out, mm -hmm. sometimes as a consumer, you question the thought process and you're going, wow, they should have thought of that. We're in the middle of the yep. woods. There's going to be fires. So you pretty much have to think about all that stuff. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's a tricky situation. I mean, we, people crap on developers all the time in that sort of way. Their big focus, again, is like they got to have the margin to work and every single otherwise the project doesn't get financed, whether it's private or it's a it's actual bank that's doing it right. 
So it's a tricky situation in that kind of way, but the best developments have all the players involved from the beginning, if possible. That would be sort of my you know, advice if anybody is listening out there and is considering doing land development is if you can, if you could just bring in the architects, the civil engineers, you, you, you yourself, the owner and developer, obviously, um, and, and maybe even when it comes down at the, the realtor, if those four entities can be involved right away, when the land planning starts, process starts just for some basic input, I think we would end up with a better product in the end and less complaints. I saw something on your site about good architect versus and then bad architect. What is the what was that all about? That was Al Gore. That was my business partner putting putting that together. Uh, I think one of the things we've always tried to do, and that's where you know back to the beginning of this conversation of how we learn from other people's mistakes who laid us off. We're trying to do we're trying to reemphasize that that constantly is that we're a different set of architects. There, there's there's bad architects and and there's good architects, and you know the the bad architect um, is a for instance is is a bad communicator and this is kind of prevalent all the way throughout the design community I think so if I was to complain about uh, you know any of the other en- engineers consultants we work with other architects that we even work with somehow there's this disconnect of you should be getting back to clients. Uh, within 24 hours or, or one hour, if possible, in the same business day. And that's what we really are trying to show is like, for for instance, even if I am just hopefully influencing other architects to be better architects in that way of just, if you just improve your communication process, nobody likes to be sitting in limbo, but for some reason, designers get comfortable just feeling like they can be. You know, when we have our Monday morning meeting every Monday with our staff, we go through everybody's projects list sign new stuff, pull stuff off plates if we need to. But the biggest thing we try to do is we try to say, have you touched base with that client this week? Like right after this meeting, you should go touch base with this client. Give them some give them some clues or some hints or just emphasis on, hey, uh, I, maybe they emailed you late on Friday. Hey, I got your email late Friday. Just getting to it today. Our next, our next deliverable is going to happen on Friday. That sort of thing. That's, I think, the crux at the good versus bad architect. Yeah, communication is is such an important thing. Now, what are the things people should think about or ask when they're hiring a contractor? What are the what are the steps they would want to take to to make that a great experience? Well, the biggest thing, and and my ex wife hated this, but it's the truth. Is I like I don't know what other analogy to make, but it's like you are married to this person professionally for a year, so you so it's got to be a for it's the, you the personalities have to mesh number one you literally have to like the person and actually it's probably like a two-year relationship if you think about it because it's maybe it's maybe you're going to build a house with them the the first year is just going to be building the house then the next year after that is warranting it because things are going to shift you're going to have to go you know adjust doors all that kind of stuff so like your relationship with a builder is probably actually minimum of two years and maybe it's even extended longer than that because if they do a good job then you're going to refer them and or maybe you have other properties and you're going to develop like that. So the first thing I emphasize is you need, really need to interview them from a personality standpoint and and feel as if that person is is trusted just from a personality standpoint. Then the second thing is financial and I think if you tackle these two things then by all means, you know, potentially head forward with them if if you're trying to entertain one of three uh potential bids for your project and that is like what is their method for for 
how they process the finances of your project. Is it a closed book method or is it an open book method? And if you can find a contractor that you really like that is personality wise and that you just feel like you trust, you look them in the eye, shake their hand. This is a trustworthy person. Great. They've passed step one. Step two, how does the finances work? Is that contractor an open book cost plus contractor where you get to see all of the bids? You know exactly what their markup is for, for their overhead, you know, 10, 20, 30, whatever percent it is versus is everything behind closed doors? I don't get to see the bids. I don't get to see what I'm spending my money on. And most contractors that we are working with these days have moved towards the open book cost plus method. When I'm looking to hire an architect, what steps do I want to put in place so I know <laughs> I hire somebody that's going to make my project successful? The, it, w this blew my mind about 10 years ago when we first started the firm. So when we first started the firm, one of the things we did is we put a uh, we, we, we put out a, a fake ad to just, whether we pretended like we had a cabin that we were going to, that we wanted to, we needed to hire an architect for, cause we wanted to see what were the other proposals. Like, what was our competitors like? How were they proposing? And, uh, what we found is, is that overwhelmingly like 99.9% .9 of like the hundred or so proposals we got from people, it was just all words. So I think if you're looking for an architect, if how you need to, the first thing question to ask them is like, tell me about your design process. Tell me about the deliverables and then the fee, the fee schedule associated with it. Is it because most people have not worked with an architect and they might only do it one time in their life. And part of this is anecdotal, but like, it's the truth. I mean, you go look up the empirical statistics about houses that were designed by architects versus just like builders, like you were talking about earlier, or just like a drafts person in a lumberyard, for instance, is there is their design method clear to you? Is it defined in their proposal? Maybe hopefully there's graphics associated with it so that they understand and it's clear to them, like, here are the steps moving ahead. Here's how long it's going to take. Here's the fee schedule associated with it. Is it open-ended to where it's just going to be a rolling clock or is it per deliverable like we do, schematic design, design development, construction docs, permit documentation? post post uh, documentation like construction administration services that's the biggest thing I, if i would when i put myself in the in the consumer's shoes i i i just think that you know even the american institute of architects i don't think they do a good job to explain to the general public like here's what it's like to work with an architect so you really need to ask them just that simple question what is it like to work with you what are the deliverables how is your fee structure set up can you explain this to me clearly without scaring me away with a crazy 10 page, you know, word wall of words on every single page kind of contract. Cause it's crazy to me. It's like, we're architects. Aren't we supposed to describe ourselves through graphics and how we do our job? Yeah. Now I recently had a guest on who hired an architect and then the architect recommended a builder, a contractor mm -hmm. who ended up being a disaster and they, they ruined mm -hmm. her house. The guy ran off, ripped off a lot of her money. Is it good to separate those two? Or if you're with a reputable con uh, uh, architect, you know, maybe get a few recommendations and actually check them out. Don't just take everything at face value, actually do the work yourself since they're building your house. Yeah. Yeah. It, but it's just to recrash the question to you, do I make sure I'm, I'm clear on what I'm answering here is sure. like, you're asking, are you asking specifically should should architects should a consumer if they hire an architect just blatantly take whatever recommendation they have from if they just if they're just saying work with this one contractor 
Yeah. I mean, should, should those things be separate or can that be a working rhythm where it actually works out great? I mean, I, I look at the houses you build and I'm no way putting you in the category of, of yeah. the person that did that. I, I think there's some amazing yeah. architects, but is it good to, to separate those two? Or if you're going to accept the referral, actually investigate as the home buyer and check them out yourself. Yeah. I, I, I got three answers for that. So number one is like, yes. If So when, when I recommend somebody contractors wise, I only am recommending maybe like one or two contractors out of the whole state of Colorado besides myself. But even then I tell, I tell clients, you should still go interview other contractors just so you can see the contrast. If nothing else, just see the contrast. Because again, maybe the contractor, the contractors that I recommend, it's all open book. It's uh, cost plus. Maybe you'll get to understand what it's like to work with potentially somebody who's completely closed book and you can't see the numbers just so you just so you can see the difference. It, I don't think it can hurt in that kind of way. But you bring up a good point, George. And the other answer I was going to give you here is that, well, like for a firm like us, and there's a lot of folks like us that are starting to do this, where that's design plus build or design and build. So you're hiring the whole entity basically from the beginning. And there's pluses and minuses about it. If you if you hire somebody like me who is also the builder, I have control of the architectural and structural model. And if you're doing it in the way we do, then we're going to have a bigger coordination effort at the beginning and make way less mistakes because we're not having to reinterpret the drawings. We already drew the drawings. However, the problem with that is that the double-edged sword here is that a lot of times it's good to have just fresh eyes on a set of drawings or a model because they might see something that you can't see because you're missing the forest for the trees. Yeah. Interesting. I, I could see that. I, I could see both sides of that. Definitely. Yeah. Um, the fresh eyes. Now, do people come to you and they already have their land picked out or is it a good idea to find the property you want and then figure out what kind of house you can put on it? Because you really have to put some thought into what can be happening on that piece of land. And, and there's a lot of things that go into that. The majority of our clients have land in hand when they come to us and it's already the deeds already the, the deeds already done. Maybe they've sat on the land for like 10 years. The minority of clients, but this is actually like this would be an ideal world every single time. The minority of our of clients come in and they say, hey, I just I have an, I have a 60 day due diligence period. I'm in like day three of it. And I would like to hire you to just do some feasibility studies. I've set up the contract with who's ever selling the land such that. I have this due diligence period and I'm going to do an architectural uh, study of it just to see if I can do something. Cause like on a steep hill, for instance, you had, like the cost can get really crazy in Colorado. Cause sometimes you end up having to basically pour a second basement, so to speak, like another basement underneath just to keep it from sliding down the hill and stuff like that. So if, if, if those, that's the two different types that we usually have, I wish the minority would more balance out to where it was like 50, 50, um, but I realize that's kind of difficult sometimes. Yeah, I think it would be important to really know what you could do on that land. And, and, and people probably don't think about this as much. Have there been landslides there? Does it ever flood? Probably less of a problem up on a hill, but the water could be coming rushing down the hill. Uh, people really need to do their homework because that can be a very costly decision. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And I don't like that's where the disconnect between realtors and architects comes in. And it would be great if we could move away from that disconnect. I just did a big blitz like early in the year where I reached out to about 200 different realtors and only about like a handful of them 
got back to me where I was just introducing myself. And I was saying, hey, if you guys ever need when you guys get under contract with it doesn't matter what property it is, actually, but like right away, I'd be happy to come down, meet with your client. And it only takes me a half hour of research to just look at what can you do with the property, whether it's commercial or residential. At some, because the, honestly, the realtors aren't even supposed to do that legally from an architectural standpoint. And they sort of get pinned in this kind of way. That'd be my wish list. If I could snap my fingers and we just started having that kind of relationship industry-wide, nationwide, that I think we would all, because some of these owners get pinned into like really problematic parts and it's not the realtor's fault. For instance, just permitting. Like if they do a, if they came in and they bought, or they, they're going to lease a 2000 square foot uh, property commercial space and they're going to put it in a new store of some sort. The realtor's, don't know how long it actually takes to get a building permit in like, let's say Denver. And, but I do. And if I could just have five minutes of their time and while they're even negotiating the lease and say like, you need to have it in the lease before you start paying the rent, you know, this is what it's going to take for permitting. Same, same thing happens for a house. Yeah. You would think the ones that are want to be really good at their job would be interested in doing that. Now AI is changing a lot of things for a lot of professions. Um, I know it's having an effect on what you guys do. Is it a good thing or a bad thing in your opinion? Both. It's the double-edged sword, right? Because it will 100% consolidate the labor uh, down to you can do more as one person than if you were, you know, for than having a staff of four, for example. And where, where this all started with us and the architects specifically is when we switched from AutoCAD over to building information modeling, where instead of us just drawing 2D lines, now, when we switched over to Revit architecture or any of these other kinds of softwares, when we're drawing the 2D wall in a plan view, it's extruding it in 3D. So it was sort of a very dumb version of AI at that point. But the analogy I'm trying to make here is that like, it really made you, the individual, once you switched over to that software, be able to produce the same amount of drawings as if it was like three drafts people versus one. So this is so it's going to consolidate not completely but to an extent the labor down to you can do more as just one person. So when you when people look at it from sort of um a luddite view, right, where they're where they're worried about technology basically taking away jobs, it kind of is in that way, but at the same time if I look at it and I go, well, I'm going to try to stay ahead of the curve as much as possible. And we're right between the bleeding and the cutting edge of the things we're seeing from come out from chat GPT and mid journey AI. And then all of these little plugins that are coming into our software now, where for instance, don't you want to be the kind of architect where you don't have to, you're not having to do a lot of cleanup on the drawings, you know, just kind of like tidy work shouldn't. And, and so the positive there is if we can, if, if we start to start having these AI plugins that like place all our drawings on a sheet, and, you know, instead of us doing that over a four hour period, it only takes like a click of a button and maybe it does it in about a minute. We have more time for and if we are able to keep our fees the same. Well, now all of a sudden our profit margins went up. Right. And then on top of that, we should be able to spend more time designing, which is that's what everybody wants to do. If you're an architect, like you want to be in the design mode more than it, more than the execution and the cleanup mode. Yeah, I was wondering if you and ultimately if you think that people are going to try to end up doing those things themselves. I know in my profession, 
once the iPhone got to be such a good camera, people are less likely to hire a video production guy because they go, oh, I'll just go out and shoot it myself. I can do this myself. And what they find out is there is a certain art mm -hmm. and skill to that that you cannot replace. And I think ultimately that's the same with AI. It's as good as what you put in it to try to, to get the information back out. So are you worried that some people might try to do it themselves or they probably wouldn't have been customers anyway? They wouldn't have been customers anyway. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, I, so it's not so much a worry. I think it's just recognition, recognizing it. And the stoic, the stoic mindset is, ah, they wouldn't have been clients anyway. And do I really want that client as, as it were? Maybe they'll call me to bail them, bail them, bail them out when they go to try to submit the drawings, and then they come back and they go, "Hey, turns out we need an architect because I missed X, Y, and Z on the code research." Yeah. I mean, I, I can tell when I've gone and looked at houses where you can tell that an architect hasn't been involved when there's all that dead space because you yeah. guys know how to efficiently make that yeah. house work. Whereas somebody that's just playing around, all of a sudden they end up with a corner that does nothing or at the top of the stairs where there's extra space or they put things in the wrong locations. I mean, you, it, there's a real skill to what you guys do. Yeah. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, you know, it's the 10,000 hour plus rule, right? We're like, well, we spent 10,000 hours doing that. Uh, maybe the customer that we're describing spent 10 hours doing it and they got it done. But there's a big gap there, right? And that's the value proposition. The prop, the value proposition is, sure, homeowner, like if you got a hold of a decent set of software and there's AI infused with it where the AI is supposed to layer on that gap between the 10 and the 10,000 with all the code stuff, or maybe you know getting rid of wasted space, stuff like that. Like I could totally see it happening in the future. It's still AI. Like if you look at <laughs> you look at any of the images from Mid Journey right now, where they have people, why are the hands all crappy? Because that's a perfect example of anybody who's listening who's ever went to like done any fine arts in college. I, I distinctly remember my one of my professors saying like. He would make fun of us because he would say, like, if the hands are some of the hardest things to draw, even if you're a trained artist. And he would say, like, I need less flippers because would, that would look like like flippers. So it's so it's that same sort of like missing gap. Yeah, no, that's uh, that, that's definitely true. There's things on there that it's hard. I mean, I've, I'm struggling to get quality stuff out of it. I find it's good for simple Thing, mm -hmm. you know, putting a draft of a script or doing something. So it'll be interesting to see how that technology goes. Any uh, final kernels of wisdom you want to leave people that are thinking of going through the process of, of building and designing a house with an architect and a builder? Uh, you know what? We have a really great video series on YouTube. If you go to YouTube forward slash inside the firm and check out, I have a how to work with an architect. And then there's three accompanying videos after that that say how to read plans. And it gives you, so even if you don't hire us, you hire somebody else, great. You know how to work with an architect and then maybe you know how to read plans uh, because that's a big problem, right? Is like, well, people, like we just, it's so strange to me. It's like, I don't know if architects are just losing the focus with it where they're like, we just expect people to read plans. It's like, no, 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 you have to, you have to educate them in that sort of way. Um, so that would be it. It was go, go check out, go check out that playlist. Don't be afraid to just pick up the phone either call an architect or two or three, call some builders, call around, feel it out, but rip the bandaid off because the more you just try to do on your own without even doing the inquiries, I think you're setting yourself up for failure. That's great advice. Lance, thank you so much for your time today. All your information will be in the show notes and, uh, people should definitely check out your website. There's some really cool houses on there. 
Thanks, George. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining me today on the first episode with our new name, Homeowners Be Aware. I really hope this can be a wake-up call if you're buying a house about what to look for and a great way to learn about important things that will help you with your current home. I'm going to keep saying this. It's your biggest investment. Learn how to protect it. I keep learning new things every day. If you have a story about your home experience that is good or bad, use the link to the contact form that's in the show notes. Let me hear about it. I'd love to have your story on an upcoming episode. Thanks again for listening. See you next time.